Exodus for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics Marvelous Mutants week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we have an awesome episode for you. First up, myself, Rod, Nathan, and Jonah take another look at Heroes Reborn, this time focusing on issues 3 through 5 as well as the Magneto one-shot. Now we're getting a lot of traction out of this alternate universe and we felt like Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis have done an incredible job shaping a world that mirrors our own. Now, we get into a lot of the specifics, but for the most part, even if you haven't read Jason Aaron's Avengers, this is a pretty easy jump in for any reader. We highly recommend it. We hope you guys enjoy this next clip as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you like what you hear, don't forget you might like what you see. So give us a look out over on the Daily X at YouTube on our XI4P channel at X's for Podcast. You can also check us out over on Twitter and Patreon where you can help shape the future of the show if you're so inclined. Until then, enjoy this next segment. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's Nathan. You can find me online at DazzlerAOA at Twitter and Instagram. DazzlerAOA. Hi, and it's Rod. You can find me at RodComaThe on Twitter and Instagram. That's RodComaThe. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, just like all the Supreme Squadron members when they were faced with a threat, and they just immediately defeated them very, very easily, might I add. So I want to remind everybody that last time we were here, Jonah kept calling them the Supremes. And then wanted credit for at least remembering that, you know, the Supremes are people. And I I agree. Huge credit. Now, he couldn't have known at the time that he was making a joke that would ring so true. Because I don't know there has been a diva like Diana Ross (laughs) until Hyperion. So, of course, we're here to discuss Heroes Reborn 3 through 5 and Magneto and Mutant Force. Guys, how much have you been enjoying it? I need to know. I need to know. Right away. So much. <laughs> so, so very much. Oh my god. Now, Raj, has this been has this been hitting your you know your your heroes reborn A spot for you? Ooh, the O spot. <laughs> yes, it, I mean I didn't read the uh, first heroes reborn. Y'all told me not to. So, but this this definitely has. Um, I really enjoy it. I'm really glad we get to see more of the uh, Squadron Supreme. And we forget the name because of the whole Jonah thing. My brain just <laughs> died. So. <laughs> Hyperion and the Supremes. Right. I do love what they're doing with each issue, though. Like the first, like the third issue is a speed guide. It's like Flash. And then you get like, um, I don't know. Dr. Spectrum. Who is he supposed to be like in the DC universe? Green Green Lantern. Lantern. He's supposed to be like Green Lantern and mixed with Martian Manhunter, I guess. Well, because he's got all like the color powers. So he's kind of like Green Lantern. I mean, so. All the corpse. Yeah. 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 Okay. All of them. Just like, okay, oh. that makes sense. I didn't think about that. Um, and then, and then we got like the cap, like the Batman character in the fifth one. I really like that one. And some of the other issues that feature him that we're not talking about today, but <laughs> it's just it had a lot of blackness in it. And I was like, 
It made me so happy. <laughs> there is such delicious blackness I can't wait to get to. And it, it was, uh, issue five did things to me. Mm-hmm. But speaking of things that do things to me, Jonah, this is your first sort of like AU crossover kind of thing, right? Like most of the time when I'm like, Read this, right? Yeah, this is his this is his AU cherry and his Squadron Supreme Cherry. This is all like this is Cherry's Jubilee for you wow now how do you feel about your cherries jojo belie yes so my i would please re- let's refrain from talking about my cherries <laughs> okay um I, no questions at this time please and thank you um aus can be very interesting in that they can oftentimes because they basically are somebody's fan fiction right they're always like it's always a case scenario of what if x or y did not happen but z happened instead in this universe 616a no no uh one what world are we in 107a we've got some numbers i believe it's 107a because if my uh research is correct it should be adjacent because uh, if all the other uh, squadron supreme members are from 107 whatever doesn't exactly matter so it's kind of like reading someone's fan fiction and fan fiction is a very beautiful interesting crazy beast in and of itself i have been really enjoying this very campy adventure i like that this is very much a hyperbolic representation of what would the U.S. look like if nobody really stopped them from being imperialistic or as imperialistic as we are. And it's a really interesting take because it's so bizarre to see these characters be so hyper-American and like, by the fear of God, you're, by, oh, and by God, I mean Mephisto. 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 Mephisto would do great at Folsom. <laughs> I bought this pair of mesh shorts that I thought was going to be great for Pride. Let me just tell you, it was mesher than I thought. Ooh. Meshier than you thought? Um, but everything has been really interesting because I always, I do enjoy looking at that that AU version of what, what, would, what would happen. And that's something I really enjoy that Marvel does do is that they love taking a look at different universes. And you have like the ultimate universe. You have that one universe where everybody's a bug. You have that one universe where everybody's a monster that I just learned about because there's a spider monster. Mm-hmm. And there's the Thank eighth you. universe. Oh yeah, the Marvel yeah, Apes are one is. of my favorite universes. Oh, I, yeah, I have really a weird fun. affection for Marvel Apes. I don't know. And the cover variants, I'm super yes. into those. So it's oftentimes uh, you know a good old a good old adventure and this is a much more serious one. Um, I am fascinated to know why our Blade made his way into that universe. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting. And yeah, what well, is I, like a six one six adjacent, like Age of Apocalypse kind of thing, where it was kind of six one six, but then it got ra- I don't know, they got erased. Wibbly wally timey wimey. Well, so I had thought that I was going to get to explain the mesh thing a lot sooner. But... <laughs> So one of the things that I do think is really central to this is actually the costumes for the heroes are sort of less sexual. And there is a really strong sense of not just Americanized identity, but it's almost like Rob Liefeld by way of Leave it to Beaver. It's sort of this extreme exaggeration of Americana, but it's sort of consumed in this idea of core values, right? 
And so obviously we're here to talk about Heroes Are Born 3 through 5 by the incredible Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis, who is always one of my favorite. The dude draws such a hot Hulk. Uh, Frederico Vincenti. We had James Stoko on an incredible issue. R.M. Guerra did some incredible work. And we're going to be talking about Magneto and Mutant Force, which is by the incredible, the so hot, and the super gay Steve Orlando, Pride Month, everybody gay it up. And it was just one of the most, it was super satisfying because we've been making a lot of comments about how much more we would like Steve Orlando on X stuff. So this felt like a, a pretty good stepping stone. But I do want to start with that. We had talked a lot about the ideas of American idealism and sort of, we even talked about how, you know, Hank Pym was a good Christian man until he became Ultron. And, you know, that's... <laughs> now... How do you guys feel about, because like, I'll be honest, one of the things I love is I love like when I do my cap cosplays, I sex it up a little bit. And Thor is naturally sexy. And like Carol is inherently sexual in her bold strength. And She-Hulk very frequently wears very little. I feel like Dr. Spectrum covered full body. I felt like Blur was not an irresponsible airhead like a lot of speedsters. He was clearly suffering from ADHD. I feel like this interpretation of the squadron purposely desexualizes things in a really interesting way that, you know, yeah, Folsom Mephisto is feeling full of sadness right now. How do you guys feel about this sort of reimagining of the Avengers with these sort of core American values? It's very Million Moms March. <laughs> I, it is very Millions. Oh, mil, oh, Jesus Christ. It is too many. Very, yeah, it's too many moms. All five of them. <laughs> <laughs> there's not even no a million moms, in that group. It's like five. Like there's may, maybe six, okay? But, <laughs> all right. Right, well, adding to the membership? Come on. I know. I mean, there are a lot of crazy people, so let's go. Um, but it, I was actually, I didn't even think about that until you said it, Nico, that the, they are really covered and that is really less sexualized throughout this whole event so far. And that, I feel like that really adds to the conservativeness of this book or like what it's portraying as, you know, and the America's sexuality, America's is afraid of sexuality for America is afraid of sex. You can see all the other countries, um, they're like, oh, well, we do this this way. We have more nudist speech. We have this and that. And America's like, no, sex is bad. No, body, part, body parts are bad. You must be covered from head to toe. Um, even in the bedroom, you have to just show your ankle. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. It's off ankle socks on. Right? That's very frat guy. That's very, very specific target axe body spray drinking LaCroix kind of specific shorts. LaCroix growth. (laughs) This got scary. But um, yeah, no, I really agree with you, Rod. There is something that is like repressed about it. You know what I mean? Now, I was going to say, Jonah, how do you feel about it? Because, like, I know one of the things you come for is himbos and smart ladies and skimpy shit. So, like... Listen, I <laughs> I like what I like, and I will never apologize for it. I want to just, you know, echo something that you said, Rod, that in the American culture is very sex-repressed, but I, I was having this conversation with a friend that everybody is obsessed with sex, but we can't talk about it. You know, how, how often, when we were young, or how old is the adage, sex sells, and how you make uh, marketing ads for whatever it is more sexual in nature, because that's how you get people to do it. I mean, one, of the, I, one thing I think about 
about is uh, cigarette companies having people in bed smoking while they're naked. It's very sexy. It's very, you know, very intimate to do that with I someone love that you ash love. ash burns on my penis. Some, some people are into that. We don't shame kinks here. We yeah, don't I mean, come on. <laughs> We don't kink shame, but that is a weird line of advertising. It is. Yes. If, if a I don't remember that specific tagline, though. <laughs> um, so seeing the, this very repressed society, you know, uh, one of the characters who shows the most skin yet is still extremely covered up is uh, Power Princess. You know, she's supposed to be this Wonder Woman who, by the way, if you do not know this, Wonder Woman was made in mind as a dominatrix. <laughs> uh, Lasso of Truth being tied up, being... You can look into that to discover that for yourself, uh, that whole beautiful can of worms. But Power Princess is a very, she's very covered up and that you, she has some skin revealing, but it's not in a way that you look at her and you don't, it's not an Emma Frost costume. It's not Jean Grey's thighs being freed. So there's, it's really this hyper-conservative I, I, America that's so in love with itself and so self-flagellatory. Flag, Flagellation? Self-flagellating? Self-flagellating. They suck themselves off a lot. I really like self-flagellatory. <laughs> like, that is my new favorite <laughs> phrase. I think we can agree that Captain America can sometimes be self-flagellatory. <laughs> There's a joke there, but I won't say <laughs> But... I really like seeing those little bit of breakthroughs of the characters that we may or may not be able to trust. And we look, and I look at Blur for someone who's questioning everything that's going on because it doesn't feel right to him. And then you look at Dr. Spectrum and you go, he's completely content with everything that's going on because why wouldn't you be? He literally thinks he's an agent of God. So it's this unbridled, unhinged... Um, idea that they can do whatever they want because they are they don't have to answer the higher power they are the higher power is really fascinating when you look at superheroes and superhero culture in general well and speaking of that you know nathan your character your favorite characters are a study in dichotomy you know whether it's karma who represents sort of a need to always repress to toe the family line or it's Dazzler who literally chooses to shine outside of her family's control. You know, your favorite characters really are a study in dichotomy, and they both came out around the same time in the late 70s and have transformed repeatedly over the years. How do you feel about taking these ideas, these characters that you know and love, and seeing them sort of stripped bare and remade with those notions in mind? It's what really struck that whole point home was the Dr. Spectrum issue for me Um, when he was he's fighting in space and he wants to make space like the American way like he wants to make space like safe for America and just seeing Rocket and Groot have to deal (laughs) and and when they were like oh I think that's a Wakandan craft he's like what the the fuck Wakanda like what that was amazing oh space Wakanda (laughs) I was like I told you it was coming. You were right. I mean, okay. Coates would be so proud. I mean, right. that it's even reverberating <laughs> through alternate realities. Right. Um, but I, I think even even when you look at the squadron itself, and I know it was a very unfortunate name, but when you t- when they changed the name of the Wither to the Blur, like it sort of t- took out some of the extra campy like sexy in the window that was in there before. And I know that was before this arc. Um, 
it was the uh, yeah. it was the JMS run. Yes. So okay, yeah. so the JMS run is the opposite of everything this is, and I love the JMS run. I need to defend it for a minute because I have a problem, and I defend J. Michael Straczynski too much, and that's okay because he did good Thor. But his Squadron Supreme Supreme Power was a horrifying nightmare of what the Squadron could be. It was if every member of the Squadron was really into this. And it was really dark and it gave us ultimate power and that eventually became part of the ultimate universe. And those are the characters that came over to 616 from the ultimate universe. Those squadron members are from JMS's relaunch. So you're really, really right that we do have to look at the, the previous changes as well. I had completely forgotten that Blur was wizard back in the Grunwald days. Yeah. Which, I mean, great, crazy, campy name, right? Wizard, like, you're like, you're like, does he go around taking Wiz on everything? But, like, <laughs> he's just a blur now. Like, oh, he's a blur. I didn't but, think of Wiz as in Wizard either. I don't know where my head is at. I was, I'm too pure, apparently. I was like, what's what's wrong with Wizard? Why is it naughty? <laughs> Maybe I'm revealing a little too much about myself with that. <laughs> well, speaking of revealing, I want to take a couple of minutes to just say how happy I am with especially what you pointed out, Rod, the format of this series, that one of the things that this book seeks to do is to tell a very small story of Blade incrementally pulling together Cap and Jonah, I am so happy you finally got to read my precious Maya. It must have been so nice to finally get to read Echo after me talking about her since the day we met. And, you know, <laughs> so happy. But, you know, this this whole kind of telling the microcosmic of what happened and then still giving us these one-shots that took place in the past, Magneto and Mutant Force. Okay, so you're not supposed to stand Cassandra Nova so hard, but... um. I'm glad we only got one issue of this because I wouldn't want to see her lose. <laughs> I was interested to see. I didn't know that she could teleport people away like that. That was cool. Like how she did with all powerful. Yeah. I mean, that was really cool. And I do want to say to the point of like skimpy outfits and stuff. The only skimpy outfit I've seen in this whole thing is by Frenzy with like her belt. Yeah. Low skirt thing. That outfit is bad but good i love it I want, to, I want to cosplay it it's but it's also horrible <laughs> oh my god emma frost had a subdue outfit in the she did right that was, was weird like, what the hell like this is just totally how repressed this america is it was so they good made her, they made her dress in that they said ma'am you need to cover this and down there no 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 you can't walk out like that and no, she said no, i'm no. Emma Frost," and they were like <laughs> Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. You can't be here. <laughs> They're like, you leave your Claremontian kinkery at home, okay? Well, and but that was what this was. This was Claremontian kinkery. It was like it was like Steve Orlando said, "What's missing from the X Men right now? Hated, feared, miserable, dying, evil from the inside." I got you. And like <laughs> it flowed. Fourth. Now, I mean, number one, we've had some commentary on... So, step back for a moment. Bernard Chang left Children of the Atom with issue two and did this. I have to say, we had some issues with the blocking on Children of the Atom. It felt very... I compared it to MC2, the Spider-Girl universe. 
And oh, yeah. it felt very that sort of Tom DeFalco kind of um, that that very heavy sort of uh, kind of uh, this is killing me. I can't think of who drew the Magic miniseries. Him and his brother, both so talented. How is my mind blanking? Would you like me to go grab the issues right now? I have them. I'm going to scream Magic really loud. Which Magic miniseries? The classic. Well. With Storm. <laughs> And Ileana. Uh, John Buscema. Ha, ha. John Buscema. That was so ashamed. I was ashamed of myself. Oh, because it's Sal Buscema. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of classic like Buscema 70s blocking that we thought maybe didn't fit the strength of Vita's very modernized script. But here, it was like a totally different Bernard Chang was drawing every page in a way that felt like sequential alternate universe hymns flowing mm-hmm. through this book he captured mindscape he captured depth and dimension this was such a strong artist making such a strong comeback for me and drawing the same figures that he drew in children of the atom but drawing them in a way that made me say this guy's fucking imagination this guy's fucking imagination i was so pleased and that he even took the time to put cassandra nova in what would be this universe's like pith helmet outfit mm-hmm. With like the bit of the schoolgirl pants, and I was enamored of this issue. That I mean, that issue had so many like throwbacks to like other stories. Even the name of it, "Beware Psychic Rescue Rescue in Progress." Like, hello, like, oh my god, and like the fact that I didn't know it was Cassandra Nova at first, right from that title, I was like reading <laughs> it. I'm like, oh, how did I not know that? Like, ah. Oh. And then you've got the then you've got uh, Rogue instead of uh, Cree. She gets a Skymax. Yeah. Yes, I was oh like, God. holy shit! Holy and then shit. you've got you've got another like cool like side nod to a different uh, alternate universe days of future past with Magneto being in the chair. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is so great! And with the um, the Magneto doing the expelling the energy yes. that looked just like the image from God Loves Man Kills. Yeah, and. There was just, just I could flip this fucking desk because the amount of iconography that Bernard Chang put into this issue is just sort of that masterwork that you really hope an artist can achieve. Now, Rod, I know you are, I mean, whether it's your amazingly talented fiance who is an artist or it's the fact that you make sure that you're, you know, in all of your reviews, you talk about the artistry and the evolution of pencilers. How did you feel? I mean, if you had even realized that this is the guy who did the first two children of the atom how do you feel with that sort of change in direction for him as a pencil yeah i mean i did realize it i didn't i realized it because of the name not really the art the art was even better for me i feel like i know children of the atom had like some pushback and it was rushed at times so it might have been because of that um but these are also more known characters so are more established characters. So he probably knew like specifically that they wanted to do and all of that. But it was fantastic. I mean, I wanted more than just one issue of this. I'm sad we only got one. Like I'm glad we don't get to see Cassandra Nova lose. But <laughs> I this reminded me of the excitement I had for like the Age of X Men one. Yeah. That, that A that AU one. Yeah, I like that one a lot. And this gave me kind of that feel that was like, it doesn't matter because it's not real, but I still love it. Did you notice who replaced Cyclops in the O five? It was Legion. Oh my god. Yeah, it was Big Legion. Hair. That and was then awesome. Adrox was there next to yeah. Iceman at one point. Oh now I was like Oh, the per- I was most excited to see Sabra. We haven't seen her in a very yes. long time. Why isn't she on Krakoa? Why isn't she on a team? Oh, okay. Now, that actually does lead me to something really important. 
I've made that exact comment a number of times, and something occurred to me that I guess kind of breaks my heart. Sabra really can't be part of Krakoa. That's really yes, against again. her nature. She be- she believes in the rights of her people, and she believes in being one with the sovereignty of her people. Mm-hmm. And for her to break lockstep from her faith would not fit her character narrative. And for that reason, it's why we can't ever really have Sunfire for too long. It's why we can't ever have Dr. Cecilia Reyes, where she's not operating as a doctor for too long. Certain mm-hmm. people belong in certain spheres, and it just made me miss Sabra so much more. You know who I miss? Introduced in the exact same contest of champions. Where's Shamrock? Shamrock. What is she doing? Yes! Oh my god. There's a lot of mutants that are not around. Yeah, and is you Shamrock know a mutant? Is Arabian she Night is no, so like, hot. Uh, like, if we're talking no, contest of champions, either. Arabian Night is just too hot. So, I'm just saying. Like, I love <laughs> I love that future, like that weird alternate future of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy where Shamrock like survived like the whole time into the future. Like, oh, like, yes! That was cool. Yeah, she could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Jonah, my question for you is how did you feel about this sort of reimagining of the X-Men from a past, present? Like, this is like literally a reimaginings of future past. How do you feel about this reencapsulation of the X-Men from a zeitgeist? It was really interesting because I I did not see the Cassandra Nova twist happening. It didn't cross my mind. It didn't it didn't hit me like, oh my god, there wouldn't be a sequence of Jean and Emma working together to remove uh, Cassandra from uh, Xavier's mind, so she would still be lurking there, and she. In an event to tie into current events as well as like Way of X, almost like a onslaught kind of thing of combining both their negative emotions and kind of just eating away at Magneto. I can feel him. No, that wasn't him. That was uh, his munch, munch, crunch, crunch. Uh, she's here for the lunch. <laughs> I think Rod's the only one that gets that. <laughs> that was for Rod. That was for Rod. <laughs> Welcome back to Krakoan Drag Race. <laughs> uh, listen, All Star Six just, you know, it's around the corner. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. I was really fascinated with the jailbreak. I'm actually really surprised that they decided to keep Emma alive. And I say that because even though Emma isn't classified as an 11 mega mutant, she is somebody who is very tricky, very hard to kill, and she's probably one of the smartest mutants we have. Not at genius level, but she's a very interesting tactician. We've seen it in the way that she's kind of wormed her way before becoming a hero in how she was managed to try to maintain her level of control within the Hellfire Club, later you know, being a teacher and all these different things. I was really surprised that they kept her alive because from a Mephisto standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you really wouldn't want an extremely powerful psychic to, uh, yeah, uh, you really wouldn't want her alive. Didn't she, didn't they reveal she had uh, dealings with Power Princess in the past? So Power Princess probably wanted to keep her alive just to spite Emma Frost's ass. Yes, it did, it did look like there were some rivalry between the two. Check out Crisis on Infinite Crossover event number seven. Why? I loved that. <laughs> I was like, this is a fucking amalgam. I love it. I'm like, I'm no, no infinite crises in Marvel. No, thank you. Oh, oh thank you. I will not do it. There was a tweet recently where someone was asking for, could we just have like editors notes boxes where they just yell at the characters yes please <laughs> i love it um 
overall, I was I was also really um, intrigued by the characters used. Like, I love Frenzy getting a moment, you know, front and center, you so know, maintaining good. that level of um, representation that she gets to bring and gets to, uh, people get to deser- deserve and need to see Frenzy. Oh, still yeah. looking yeah. super Bob Layton, still looking super yeah. X Factor, Axis of Evil yeah, numbers five yeah. through seven, looking like a beast. Everything I want from a Frenzy, so good. And I was really, ha- I wasn't happy with the answer, but I was happy to have gotten the answer of, well, what exactly happened to the X-Men? What happened to these mutants? And we find out mm-hmm. the Supreme Squadron was like, uh, you're either getting tagged or you're dying. And they were like, no, 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 we want, we just want to live. And they were like, uh, no. stab you, America. They're like, you're too crazy and you're not human. So bad. Nothing <laughs> says America like extinguishing a minority. Right. And it's it's not like you know certain other one of those members of the Supreme Squad and got their powers from somewhere else that wasn't actually theirs. It's right? almost like, huh? Um, well, exactly. speaking of mutants, breakouts, the mutant massacre, powers that aren't theirs, and the squadron. That's a pretty great segue to talk about how fucking good the Scarlet, sorry, the Silver Witch versus Blur was. Oh yeah, that. Was so like. I write a comic about a speedster and I write a comic about a guy who has tactile speed. So he propels himself with speed. So when he messes with another speedster, the event, you know, the effects are kind of weird because it's two conflicting time forces opposing each other. And that's something I love to write for some reason. And I feel like when DC does speed force stuff, they're willing to go there. But when Marvel does it, it's usually like Peter David being like, Quicksilver's such a cranky bastard that he got a new speed power or whatever. This was such a beautiful fusion of idea. And the art was occasionally gross in all the best ways. I really found myself pleased because I don't like arrogant speedsters. A speedster is already too powerful. You don't make him arrogant. That's that's annoying, right? That's house. But yeah, right? This guy seriously suffered from ADHD and clearly suffered from elements of depression due to his ADHD and clearly suffered from mania from his ADHD and had some sense of imposter syndrome despite having every power and I just loved it. How did you guys feel about what might have been the most exciting speed-off we've had in Avengers since Quicksilver... uh, Let's just pretend Quicksilver's ever done something interesting. (laughs) I mean, he hasn't. I'm glad he's not around Crystal? Maybe um, crystal? Oh, 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 no. Wait, he crystal did make... He did... <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, maybe. Oh, Crystal's interesting. How you do not go after humans. Wow. No, I mean, you can go after some of them. But like, crystal's, <laughs> yeah. crystal's fine. <laughs> and, and, she's fine. Yeah, yeah, she's better than Quicksilver. The one thing Quicksilver did before I go on actual important speedster, um, the one good thing Quicksilver did was make the child that he did with Crystal. Luna. That oh, Luna, Luna is a precious baby, and that's the only thing I will give Quicksilver. The rest he can just go away. But with Blur, I love that the internet as a whole was like, this is the best Flash story that ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't personally I, I hate speedsters. I don't like them. I don't understand. I don't get the fascination with Flash. He, um with the I, like in general. I understand I, like my favorite. I understand liking their personalities, but the powers itself, 
I uh, it annoys the shit out of me. Makes but me sleepy. I, right, exactly. But I did really like this story because it was mostly ridiculous, and that's what makes this event so fun. And it's comp- it's like combined with this amazing, detailed, like you say, gross ass art that is just so fun. And we got the Ghost Runner. Oh my god! How the hell did that happen? That's so fucking amazing. The pen and stairs, you guys. <laughs> I don't really get how Ghost Rider or Ghost Runner exists if Mephisto is supposed to be the god of the this universe. But he's building a mystery, he's building a mystery though. So. Yeah, it's built, it's a mystery. I don't really get it. I don't is, know how is it going to start surfacing soon? Is it going to surrender? Mephisto Are you just going to start Why not? Why not? Mephisto was railroading everybody, and he's like, no, this is my story. This is how it's supposed to go. I don't care what you rolled. This is how it's supposed to happen. And you're like, what? He's like, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay. Can we just talk about how many alternate realities Wanda's just gone around saying, no more something? Like, what the fuck? No more speed. No more speed. Like in the AO in the Age of Apocalypse, they had her like do no more mutants again. It's like, oh yeah. She has a problem. She can't be told no because then she does goes no again. Just knows it back even harder. (laughs) She's like the moment. She's like, no more, no more, no more. She just the embodiment of a Uno reverse card. Yeah. Yeah. She's the ultimate Uno player. She's the red (laughs) reverse. Oh my god, that's amazing. Back to you. You better write that name down. Write that. That's a good name. Red Reverse. Yeah, do that. Red Reverse. Man, I got to excuse me, DC. I know you guys are having a lot of trouble staying awake, but if you could, I would love to write Flash. I have this idea for the Red Reverse. Do we don't need another speedster? Oh like in, god! But don't make it Wally West, though. Please, just make him the Flash. No, make it Wally West. Make everybody. No. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Make him evil again. I want to see all no. the nerds on the internet cry. Well, okay, look, you obviously didn't grow up loving Teen Titans, so well, I did. I'm gonna try I and see if I, I can do myself. I'm gonna write Teen Titans Goes and Sees Dirty Dancing, uh, which is going to be the sequel to the upcoming Teen Titans Go See Whatever movie they're going to see that they're doing this for real. There's an animated oh, movie. Oh, oh, um, uh, is it? It's the original Space Jam. Yeah, it's Teen Titans Go See Space Jam, and it's Wait, is it the Teen Titans Go? Teen yes, yeah. are gonna go see Space Jam. That's and cool. I think it's the cutest, best idea in the world. I would. Oh I, would I, I think pay... it's like a mystery science theater kind of yeah. thing where they're just going to comment over it like, yeah. in character. Oh my God, Starfire. <sighs> because I, if I could get the classic Claremont X Men to go see Star Wars with Kitty, Aww. I would pay any amount of money for that story. And just like, I can imagine Storm being like, thank you for sharing this with me. I know what it means to you. And Kurt being like, Logan, wasn't the sword fighting amazing? And Logan <laughs> being like, I got swords for you. And like, you know, Scott sitting there saying things like, my only point would be that you would never be able to fly at that angle through space. It's unrealistic. <laughs> I'm just speaking from experience. Well, that's actually Scott's hidden power. A number of the X-Men have hidden powers that people forget about. Like, Kurt can blend into darkness. Scott has perfect undulation. He can understand angles, which is how he's able to use his concussive non-heat-related blasts to reflect off of things. Storm never has a bad hair day. Yeah. Storm never well because she can control the ions in the air and she can actually make her hair do what she wants. Like these they, these powers exist. 
like those brain shorts. Why do you think her mohawk stays so perfect all the time? I mean, I mean, true. We should all be lucky enough that Storm always gifts us with a mohawk. Now, I do have to talk about some sad things. Now, I I, I have to admit, um, I have no fondness for Rocket Raccoon. I do. I love him. I love Groot. I love Groot very much. I thought the Doctor Spectrum issue was fundamentally disturbing. So good. There was something so sad about Mm. everyone. Dr. Spectrum doesn't seem to relish murder. He seems to believe this is his purpose. That is not to say that he enjoys it, but that is to say that he believes it is his function. And Rocket Raccoon believed his was simply to die. And Groot, a creature of love, was turned into a weapon. And the fundamental overtone of the Doctor Spectrum issue was death is upon all of us in a world that the devil rules. And Mm. I found myself questioning how much of this issue was actually body horror. Rocket was robotic. Groot was a gun. Doctor Spectrum has been remade into a monster. How did you guys feel about this sudden change of pace? You know, one and two were identifying, you know, one from Blade's point of view. This is what's different. Hyperion, two, I am the Captain America. Number three, Blur, and he's just kind of wacky. And then we get number four, and it's literally, I mean... I mean, Dr. Spectrum literally blasts the Cancerverse at them. He literally fills them with the fucking Cancerverse. This was dark. It was really dark. And I I don't like Dr. Spectrum because of his, his, some of his views, just like all of them. Just, just I, I, I can't get past it. But him as a character on what he does is really badass because he took the eyes from um Uatu. From Uatu. He took the eyes from Uatu. He sh- he shot Thanos' gauntlet off of his head. Oh my god, I love like, their rings. Our fingers, rings. yeah. Yeah, their rings. And then he threw Ego the Living Planet into a black hole. Like I just Yeah. It's so this is exactly my kind of book. Because <laughs> it's just so <laughs> So ridiculous, so action filled, so pretty. And then like the the talking over, he just he believes in himself that he is a creature of God, like Nathan said, so much that he's like, I have to cleanse the universe, make it like America. That is my job. That is why I got this. And it really makes you it's disturbing, but it's believable because he it really, is. he believes it himself. I know people like that or new people like that. Oh yeah, and like not like not like crazy like not like flying in space with a giant gemstone. Yeah, (laughs) but like you know people who believe that. Oh, people can believe like all sorts of things if they truly, truly believe it, and you hear them talk about it. It's not like you start believing it yourself, but you really feel how they feel because of their passion. Even if they're insane, you still (laughs) get that. Like you understand the way they feel just because of their passion for it. That's how I see Dr. Spectrum, an insane, religious, crazy person, but he he is in it. Do you know why I felt sad that Rocket was fighting Dr. Spectrum alone with Groot? I was like, oh my god, they fucking killed the Star Jammers! Like, yeah! Oh, oh my god. god! I was like, oh my god, Cyclops and Havoc are dead. Maybe Johnny Storm, I don't know. But like... Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because Echo's got the Phoenix, so... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But that does lead me to a question. Jonah, I feel like I have underprepared you... Because it occurs to me 
God, you don't know what the new universe is. And it occurs to me that you don't know who the Starbrand is. That was actually going to be something I asked. I don't know who Starbrand is. I don't know her. Um, (laughs) So, okay. I just don't. Here's what happened. In 1961, the Marvel Universe was born. And then 25 years later, it was time for a new universe to be born. And in a very, very, very bad move, Marvel sunk a disturbing amount of capital into a second line of comics known as New Universe. And New Universe was hyper gritty and uh, filled with realism like the 80s. And it was all very Miami Vice with superheroes. And it was terrible. And (laughs) the best two things to come out of it were Justice and the Star Brand. And the unfortunate shouldn't be named too much. Ellis, who worked on Excalibur, did a really breathtaking reimagining of it at one point called New Universal, which was super excellent. And Starbrand is one of Jonathan Hickman's favorite ideas. Starbrand is sort of this power that comes to someone when they're in danger. It's like a, it's kind of like a, a Captain Universe kind of power. Yes. Right. Um, And Jonathan Hickman had the star brand come through to our world, which in his Avengers, which I thought was very daring because, well, now what the fuck is Quasar going to look like? Hopefully still hot. Right. Amazing. Well, Quasar's ability, the the star burst that he uses to me always looks exactly like the star brand. Just like. Like Dazzler and Captain Marvel are already close enough, but then yeah. when you add, so like if you look at it, that one cover, they like Quasar is in the audience right now, right? Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah, the yeah. two different, the woman Both and the man, all of them are fused together. Wait, yeah. is Quasar really the Star Brand right now? No, not Star Brand. This Quasar. Yeah, wait, because I'm like, isn't the little baby Star Brand right now? The little baby is the little baby Star Brand. But Quasar is the... Um, There's yeah. two different Quasars okay, cool. like, together right now. Yeah. Quasar is a hot lesbian. I love her. But. Yeah. Oh, now I've got what you mean. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, whew. I'm like, <laughs> when did Quasar and the star... Bra- I gotta go. I just gotta leave. Because now I'm confused. No, I, I'm completely with you. So Starbrand, kind of like um, a lonely phoenix, if you really need mm. something to compare it to. Too much power, saves your life when you're in trouble, comes and helps you out from this alternate universe, been playing here for about eight years. I'm confused on why she's grown up in this reality. Like, not grown up all the way, but, like, she's not a baby. Like, that big. She's, like, like a 10-year-old now instead of, like, an infant. I wonder what the time is because they did the attack on the mutant riot was 10 years ago. Like, you noticed that? So, like, they had, like, all the characters that, like, I don't know that Rogue was really around 10 years ago in Marvel time. So maybe Mm. Heroes Reborn is in the future a little. Mm. Oh, like a future past time shift guy. Okay. That makes sense because she's older. (laughs) And, you know, it's also of note that for me, I was really concerned about seeing Echo. There's a line in the final issue after Age of the Phoenix where the comment is made that no one knows how long this host might stay with Echo and how the Phoenix could leave her at any moment and who knows. And that made me feel very away because she's the first disabled host for the Phoenix. She is the first uh, woman of color to be host to the Phoenix because even Mm -hmm. in the Phoenix Five, they were all white. They were, yeah. So, and now, you know, I understand that there's been some other hosts out there over the time and blah, blah, blah 
blah. But I was really concerned they were going to take the Phoenix Force from Echo really quickly. So when they didn't, I was pleased and elated. But I do find myself questioning this timeline that she's aware she just became the Phoenix, right? She even makes that comment, I watched a world burn to cinders on my first day. I feel like this is the manipulation that Mephisto was waiting for. He was waiting for to to kind of hit everybody with maybe a little too much Aaron's Avengers all at once. Khonshu's plan was perhaps the most brilliant plan in the history of the Marvel Universe. One by one, he would steal all of the avatars of power and give them to one being who would fight in his name. Now, this was also done by Doom in the pages of Jason Aaron's Avengers. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jason Aaron's Thor. But, you know, here we get, you know, uh, Khonshu doing it through Moon Knight. Now, I do believe that Moon Knight, empowered by Khonshu, would possibly be able to defeat Danny Rand and get the Iron Fist. I think that is possible. And then oh, yeah. I believe using those two abilities to keep gathering them, right? So because of Khonshu, because of the fucking moon, all of the powers in the Marvel Universe are out of whack. And now the greatest power of them all the phoenix is here and it's been given to someone totally new there's this huge influx of reality altering power and i think that's what mephisto used i don't think he necessarily used her power but i think it's sort of that i found a little opening that i could use to make a bigger opening and a bigger opening and i think that's what we're really seeing we're seeing a dark alignment that he is exploiting. So I I do love your question of timetables because I think the question of timetables becomes even more apparent in the next issue. Issue five presents me with two things that are way too hot. Number one, Nighthawk is such a fucking fantastic character. It's ridiculous what a great character Kyle Richmond is. It is ridiculous how good every iteration of him is. I just love this character because he's Batman without the arrogance. And that's yeah. a thing for me. It made me all of the anger. More anger. <laughs> it was amazing to watch a black Batman fight mm. black Ronin, who, mm. of course, turns out to be T'Challa. It was, but yeah. now that's where my question comes in. Can we accept that Wakanda has stayed secret for this long? Can we accept that this... I mean, the Black Panther, for me, represents a mistake you don't make. If you are planning something, right? We were just talking about this in X-Men 20s discussion. I said that I truly believe that it's actually possible that Moira, Charles, and Eric are purposely confusing Mystique with this chase for Irene. Because when you need to manipulate a situation, you take your best players off the board. You can't kill Mystique, but you can keep her distracted. Maybe they're just keeping Mystique distracted. I feel like Black Panther isn't a person you leave on the board. I feel like leaving T'Challa on the board is a unique kind of mistake that is not an exponent you leave in the equation, right? How do you guys feel about the fact that T'Challa was so available? I mean, he had to break... Blade had to break Captain America out of ice. Blade had to go break Echo out of jail. Blade just has to be like, hi, T'Challa. I know you're secretly Ronin. Come play with me. And T'Challa's like, Panther, Panther. Okay. We, we did see them come from the space, <laughs> apparently, in issue four. So I'm thinking maybe they came back from the space 
and like came back to Earth, the Mephisto Earth, and is and they're like trying to stop maybe Mephisto or something like that because like they they I don't think they were on Earth for that much longer or haven't been on Earth for a while. Um, and like they were looking for the Star Brand obviously for more firepower because it's Mephisto and then it's the Scotch Supreme. So that's a lot of firepower to go through. And also Mephisto, obviously he got rid of like Jean Grey and like other people, you know, because Jean Grey's not there. <laughs> but I I think he like I like I was trying to maybe said before I think the Panther God maybe have protected Wakanda or Mephisto was just arrogant enough because he is to just not be like oh well he's just human he's a yeah, powered human that's what I was thinking yeah he's just human what can he really do to me that I can't just do to him that would really affect me and it is it dangerous as fuck to underestimate T'Challa oh like, yeah holy shit oh definitely and I can see Wakanda staying hidden because obviously they talked they mentioned exterminating the inhuman so like if Attilan was figured out found out and they pretty much are wiped out I can see why Wakanda would want to stay hidden mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and leave like, Earth at that yes. how much firepower do you need to exterminate the inhumans I mean Karnak Karnak oh, yeah Karnak Karnak like and Black Panther you feel like the inhumans would just kill themselves no, I mean kind of just too busy fucking oh, Jesus yeah, Christ they are or, or you just pipe some pollution in at that point. Yeah, and I feel like what, what other than Black Bolt, what big firepower did they have that would stand against like the Squadron Supreme? Maximus. Maximus Maximus true. Maximus true. But if they can stop Gene and they can stop Emma, then they can stop Maximus. Okay. So we saw Hyperion like fucking fly through Galactus and like fucking yeah, he's doing Galactus and Hulk. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, Black Bolt, uh, you're you're powerful, but uh. to, to answer your question, Nico, as to why he left T'Challa on the board, I have to imagine Mephisto realized he didn't have a choice. There are certain things that for things to go in his favor, he has to kind of let play out. It's why I said, why would you leave Emma on the board? That's the, your, that's you know, the mutant's white queen. There are a couple characters from other main titles that I don't think he had a choice in not letting stay because otherwise it's not the reality where he has the highest chance of succeeding. Yeah, and you know, I think that ties into the the mystique point I was making that in terms of... I think that you wind up in these situations where there's people you just have to keep off the board. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody else is a big Squadron fan, but my favorite member of the Squadron isn't here. Where's Arcana? Who's our? Give me she's a. Def- there's me. a. She's there's Zatanna. Oh, okay. And yeah. She survived the end of the Ultimate Universe, and like, I, I kind of like. Where is their sorceress? Right? She would be sorceress supreme, even if we're in a. An alternate universe. Wouldn't there still be a sorceress supreme or sorcerer supreme? Hmm. So yeah, because there's no Doctor Strange. Yeah, and, and, and Doom or not, or what? Doctor Juggernaut is not it. No, <laughs> I love him so much. I love him so much. I just want a big dumb build a figure of him. Oh, you broke my head with your neck muscles. I mean, who who loves that? I mean, that's so good. <laughs> Yeah, now, there's not a lot of magic users actually in this world besides uh, Scarlet's, I mean, Silver Witch. Whose main yeah. power seems to have been switched over to super speed. Yep. Yeah. So it's like even more so kind of like, 
I was going, racer. I was going to ask, does a, does Belasco still kidnap a six-year-old Ileana and forcibly teach her the dark magics of Limbo? Well, now here's my question. If we know that this is a different kind of Russia that is still antagonizing the United States with supers, is this the kind of Russia that would have ever let Colossus and Ileana leave for America where Belasco could steal her? Well, Colossus was at DC. He was in the um right. the and riot. So we didn't see anything about Ileana, so probably not. But Belasco had dealings before the Rasputins with Margali Sardo, so maybe something went along the winding way. Mm. I see that you're always going to find a way to bring up Amanda Sefton. I think it's very <laughs> <laughs> Amanda Sefton. It's I'm sorry. Really, really <laughs> impressive. I'm always very impressed. Point A, point B, Amanda Sefton. I do want to say that I feel like I, especially when I read the first two issues, I feel like I had this story figured out. But as each issue I read, I don't have it figured out anymore. Like they keep throwing things at us, and I'm just like, they don't really make sense, but are really fun to read, and they they make sense in the way that the story is told that one issue but in the grand scheme of things they don't make sense and i'm just like what is happening i I can't figure out the timetable of the story like we're trying to figure out what is mephisto planning what is this because you know when you read an event especially when you get towards the middle which we are or in the middle you can kind of figure out what's going to happen or to us like to a certain point but this i have no idea i agree and i think that's an important thing you know not to get shakespearean for a moment but we understand the ending of a a, so if you got third act problems you got first act problems right Mm -hmm. so if by the midpoint if by act two of three you're not aware of how this is going to go right then perhaps the storytelling is either a little muddled or you're going for a purpose you know obfuscation but i I agree with you i thought this was going to be and now the avengers and the squadron fight and i know that's still what the solicits say but unless the squadron are willing to fight on the side of Mephisto, I'm like, I, you know? And I, each issue, at least each main issue, or even the one-shots, have been introducing a new threat and a new pawn piece that was left. You know, Captain America is back now. They freed Maya and her Phoenix Force. Cassandra Nova is free and even more powerful than ever, disintegrating two members of the squadron very easily. You also have the Starbrand now being found by uh, the Wakandan Space Force. There's a lot of these very powerful entities kind of um, in play now that it's a big mystery to me. Well, how are these all going to interact with one another? Did they already interact in certain ways and now they're trying to have to find a different one? There are a lot of characters and these very big and powerful things that are make you wonder well how exactly can this end you have very you have a lot of these cosmic entities that are rivaling each other and the power scales off the charts are they going to clash are they going to work together what does that mean and you know the cover of the return which is the eighth issue of the miniseries does in fact feature the star brand child fighting alongside captain america so i do think you know yeah, you know, the Star Brand has been coming to protect us this whole time. Now, I just finished an Avengers by Aaron Reread, and I like it so much more this time. I even liked it in the first place, but it reads really, really well all at once in a trade. And there's such a focus on humanity throughout it. One of my favorite issues is, of course, Cap, Tony, and Thor, and Jen uh, skinny dipping in a hot tub uh, together. And. Yeah, 
I love Carol being Robbie's older sister and covering her eyes, covering his eyes when Jen gets up and she's fully naked, right? And but you know, because they're these big buff gods of men, Robbie, the ghostwriter, is kind of nervous, so he stays in his t-shirt. And like that's 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 Aaron's Avengers for me. So that he's finding the room to explore these ideas and still tie it back into his Avengers with you know the Star Brand showing up and stuff i'm really really excited now i know when we next meet we're going to be discussing predominantly the one shots that have been released in the time since as well as issue number six but here's my question so far we have a complex narrative full of really flawed awful heroes and for the most part the perspective has been from the point of view of the squadron the first issue was blade but then we had hyperion blur dr spectrum and finally for issue five we saw things from the point of view of nighthawk who sort of represents logic in in this nightmare and as jonah pointed out each issue kind of brought us back a hero issue one gave us thor where he did the beerstein slam and it summoned the hammer in a manner of speaking in issue two we regained cap in issue three, I don't remember who we got back in three, but I know four Maya. was Maya. Oh, Maya. Three Maya. Four was Maya. Three was Maya. Three is Maya. And four was uh, Starbrand. Four yeah. was Starbrand and... with five yeah. being T'Challa. T'Challa. Yeah. yeah. So I believe we have one more hero to regain next issue. Mm-hmm. If it's not Tony Stark, I can't make sense of Tony Stark in the cave. Mm-hmm. The whole Avengers thing is Tony Stark finds his own head in a cave. (laughs) Well, no. Okay. Okoye finds Tony Stark's helmet in a cave. And it's a million years old. And it turns out that the helmet has been around since the prehistoric Avengers. And it has something to do with Mephisto. And so if Tony Stark doesn't start playing a role in this, I may be a little bit lost. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Tony to step up and be part of this story the way I know he should. What about you guys? Are you guys hoping for a specific outcome from this? Or are you just along for the whacked out ride as the solicits keep calling it? Uh, Tony makes the most sense uh, because Jen isn't Gamma right now and Carol isn't powered either and then Robbie's riding a bicycle so it's like (laughs) of the original (laughs) Avengers I mean well the Avengers team that is right now all you have is Iron Man and Iron Man is a billionaire still like he's still top of the world and everything so he could you know make an outfit he's still like a genius so the their next best zap, zap. thing zap zap and blade knows that tony is you know resourceful even if he probably he might not i don't even know how blade feels about tony but he'll probably be like hey we need money and technology <laughs> and so let's go to let's go to chala needs to work with tony to build something so let's go to tony stark you know, I'm gonna go yeah. wild and say the last hero that we're gonna introduce into the group is somebody that we've actually seen pretty much the whole miniseries as a villain because she remembers sort of what's going on would be Wanda. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, because she knows there's something wrong with reality. So okay. I don't know. My guess is a character we've not seen, was not mentioned, very likely won't be it. But I'm still going to say it because I just want to talk about her. This is my only segue. Moondragon. Oh, I would oh. love to see Moondragon. Yeah, Moondragon. That'd be cool. No! No Moondragon! No! <laughs> what do you mean no Moondragon? We I love Heather Douglas. Wait, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, don't like Moondragon. I don't think she can... <laughs> I don't think Drax ever had her in this reality because he didn't... He, he died, right? So I don't think well, she but, exists. Yeah. I love Moon Dragon. 
but I, I do, what yes. in the fuck does she have to do? I hope Hillary Clinton shows up! <laughs> I hope Hillary Clinton said, shows up and gets the Infinity Rings! I hope, I said, I hope it's Supreme Court Justice Dazzler, okay? That's it. Okay, That's so it. To, on Jonah's defense, <laughs> a lot of things pop up in this story, like I said, that don't make sense. So, Moon Dragon. Popping up would be cool because there's no other telepaths really except for Cassandra and Emma. And we don't even know if they're still alive. If that was a past story or not. Okay. So. But in this universe, she's Sailor Moon Dragon. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. She's, <laughs> she's actually just nice to people. Anyway. Yeah. I, that was just my excuse to talk about Moon Dragon for a second because we just haven't seen her. And it's like, well, she's really powerful and she's even more powerful than the other actual mutant psychics that are on mega level. So, like. Uh. Yeah. She's really more powerful than... She controlled the whole planet with the help of a little enhancement. I mean, she wasn't like... It was... <laughs> like I'm just going really... off what I read. Are you really going to bet on Heather versus Jean Grey? I mean... I don't know. She I mean, did. She bested Jean Grey already. <laughs> yeah, I'm like... I'm like, uh, I'm like I, I, but it was like 90s Jean Grey. Moon Dragon is really good. In the, Moon Dragon has shown her features really well in the recent Guardians that she's in. She shows her features so, a lot. Yeah, so I think she would be like on the same... Oh my god, I just got that. God damn it. Um, she, I think she would be on par even more than Jean Grey at this point. At least in the 616 reality. I don't know about Heroes Reborn reality, but... Yeah. Um, but actual answer, I, I have to agree because of uh, me trying to think of other Avengers that can possibly come back and try to help save the day. I don't really think it's going to be Natasha or Clint. I, I don't it, it, no. Um I really don't think it's going to be Tigra. Doesn't really seem like she would be the one to. Hey, guys, it's okay. me. I'm Pam. I'm here to help. Hey, guys. Do you need a cat lady? Who needs oh, a furry here? Ladies, I don't think it's going to be Hellcat, Patsy. Probably not going to be her. Um, I, I have to. I'm just naming Avengers now. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't know where you're Monica going. Rambo. Monica Rambeau? No. Yeah. Okay, so that where is Monica and Blue Marvel? I guess they don't exist. I can back up not getting Monica, but yeah. Adam Brishar should exist on his own, yeah. like yeah. timeline wise. Like, we should also have the Agents of Atlas. We should also yeah. have... Well, okay. No! Oh, shit! There was one line that changed everything. Oh, my God. How am I being so dumb? Of course everything has changed from the beginning. Oh, my God. So everybody that's listened to all hour and eight minutes of this is like, they finally got there. Guys, they literally said Power Princess was an invader, which means that the timeline is different as far back as 1943. Oh, Shit, I didn't get that. Oh my god. They said that Zarda was an invader when she came from another world. And then they said that she, when she returned to her home planet at some point, brought everybody from Earth and they killed everyone on her planet. So, you know, she has such a long history that it was really easy to kind of miss that. But, oh, my God, I completely forgot that they said she was an invader, which means she served during World War II. Holy shit. She was in the Justice Society. I mean, invaders. And then they also gave us that. OK, I don't know how we didn't talk about this, but in issue five that the symbiote attached to Nighthawk. Yes! Oh my god! That was so cool, and Black Cat was there, okay. Oh no! <laughs> I was like, Felicia, come on, really? Oh, hey, so good. Her. 
Well, think about it. She she moved. She didn't have. She didn't have a Spider-Man to fall in love with. But she found a different uh, dark, mysterious hero uh, who's much more richer and probably a lot hotter than Peter. But like, why did he end up with all of Peter's exes? (laughs) Like Gwen Stacy, Felicia Hardy. Like, come on. Well, he didn't date Gwen Stacy. She's still a child in this. He just has a sidekick. Well, like, she's, she's a child. Like, <laughs> she's a child. He, 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 he's a sidekick. It's yeah. once as an instance, but twice as a hobby that he happened to have picked up a couple of uh, Peter's comrades. Yeah. He's and essentially the Spider-Man. <laughs> here's the question then, come to think, because you're right, he's the Spider-Man, but he's, you know, he's not the, he's not the Tony Stark, which you would think the foil to Cap would be. So that the foil to Cap is the Spider-Man makes him the genius everyman. So I guess that's Peter. I huh? You know, I hadn't really thought about the fact that they took the Batman analogy and they wrapped it up in Spider-Man, which makes me ask one final question for you guys: What transitional role do you guys think worked the best or the least? I think making the comparison of Hyperion to Superman works really well. He he takes a nap in the sun to get real hot or whatever but that he's basically like captain america's dead i'm the sentinel of liberty that's not liberty that's liberty biberty that's not at all what liberty is and you're doing it wrong so i think for me i understand a lot of the other parallels but in this instance hyperion is playing iron man He's playing the guy who takes the law too far to protect people, which is not a Cap thing at all. Cap is much more like Nighthawk in this instance, where he's like, even if this is what's best for me, is it's what's best for the world. Do you guys feel any of the other, you know, DC Marvel analogous relationships maybe fell short of the intention here? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if... Um... Because I know obviously Blair's Flash, and that's about it. I think that's I think that's all they did for him was basically Flash personality, and then Doctor Spectrum was like the the arrogance of the Lantern Corps, and Nighthawk they they Nighthawk they put the most on because they did make him Captain America and Spider Man and um, Batman. Batman. So. Oh, what if what if Power Princess is going to be Captain Marvel too? And I was wondering what if. Um, uh, Dr. Spectrum is Captain Marvel. Maybe goes oh. a little too far, flies through space. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, duh. shit. Blur is then her. acting like ah. Ghost Rider because he's young and irresponsible and oh, burning yeah. through things too hard, transporting himself between realities and stuff, going back and forth to hell, you know? And, like, there's there's something weird here where, like, because, like, I'm like, oh, I see these things, but not everyone does. So that maybe tells me that they're not hitting as hard as they could. And I could be imagining things where there are none. I'm very good at this. But that doesn't, you know, I'm just kind of noticing that there's the analogous relationship. It's kind of not as tight as we would expect from a squadron story. Holy shit, though. Now that you mentioned that about Dr. Spectrum and Carol, I am, like, mind blown. Because I still think of Carol Danvers is, like, the, the fucking person we got in Claremont's Uncanny. And that's been, like, fucking 30 years. Yeah. And she's not that person anymore. Oh, no, she's I, strong and dangerous. I do, I do see the Carol Danvers and Dr. Spectrum, especially with the... Now I see it. They bring it up. And um, with the inner monologue and the being sure of yourself and the talking yourself into it and all that. Definitely Carol. Um, and her virtue, her virtue is the most important thing. So... Mm-hmm. 
because mm-hmm. it's like so fucking skewed but hers like her her virtue that's what civil war was all about her virtue was the most important thing yeah she's very headstrong and that's what dr spectrum is as well and i feel i guess if we had to if we had to guess i guess power girl power woman what's her is her name power girl power, power princess power princess she was probably going to be like she Jen. yeah she hulk mixed with um with Wonder Woman, I guess. And like a little right? bit of the Thor of it, because she thinks oh, yeah, yeah. Thor. And Thor. Thor. So all God is my favorite fucking, fucking thing with those stupid giant teeth looking all kinds oh, of really like cool. Chris Bacalo, but on like a, an Alan Davis background. I am like obsessed with all Gog now. I, I I got so fucking confused. I thought they were like Gog and Magog, and I was like, Am I reading a DC comic book right here? And I was like, what the <laughs> I just got that. I'm like, they, oh yeah, they exist. But that's yeah. interesting. There's none of the DC villains. They're barely even using the Avengers villains. They're yeah. using kind of like specific people's villains, right? Mm-hmm. In that we had the, the Black Skull. I can't even. I just think Ugh. he's the funniest stupid villain ever. We have <laughs> Dr. Juggernaut. We have Allgog. We have... Thanos with the Infinity Rings. Mm-hmm. We have He's a Mandarin. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't even thought about it in that way. That he also then becomes Mandarin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. Well, I'm even more positive on these analogies than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think this. I think this. Um, this Heroes Reborn will definitely connect with, like you said, with Jason Aaron. When you read his Avengers run as a trade, you got to connect with it a little bit more. I feel like when you read this basically omnibus worth of information that is Heroes Reborn with all the main series and the tie-ins, it'll flow more and you'll be like, you'll catch things more because you're reading it all at once. And it's and the way it's structured, I guess, when they put it all together, it will probably flow more better too. And, you know, considering that the whole narrative is 18 issues that vary between 28 and 52 fucking pages, we're looking at a 564-page event that is going to collect, I would like to think pretty seamlessly across these 18 issues in one big, beautiful hardcover. We've covered eight of the incredible issues contained in this series. I lied. We've covered seven, and we have (laughs) 11 to go. Next time we come together, we're going to be discussing issue six as well as five of the one shots before settling in for another episode covering the bulk of the material leading up to the return. I myself am pretty excited for the return. If for no other reason, I want to know how this event is going to impact things going forward. Hey everybody, welcome back. Nico here one more time. Now this next segment originally debuted on our YouTube during the Daily X, but it was such a well-received piece and we had such a great time with it that we wanted to include the special video of Josh and his two sons taking a look at the kind of comics they've been reading. Now of course this skews a bit younger than a majority of our material, but those young voices are going to be the next generation of readers, so it's definitely worth it to hear what they have to say. Until next week guys, please remember we love making this show for you twice a week, every week, and when we return, we're going to be jumping forward into the Hellfire Gala, which has been long awaited, not just for fans, but for the contributors to this show. So until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we'll see you.
Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. This is the Daily X, where we discuss the adventures of comics' marvelous mutants through their monthly titles. I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me online at Asleep at the Wheel on Twitter, Sleep at the W-E-I-L, and at asleepatthewheel.com. And for the next two years, as a progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate, you can find me across social media at Wheel the Number Four U.S. Senate and at JoshWheel.org. We're gonna do something a little different today, and with me, I have two other wheels to my left here is my older boy david say hi. hi how old are you david eight and to my right is my younger boy alexander say hi alexander hi. how old are you Six. and today since y'all already know what those of us at x's for podcast are reading on a regular basis we're gonna do a little skip and see what my ninos are reading so these are some of the comics and titles that they like the most where do we get our comic boys um barnes and noble no um, we don't ever buy comics at Barnes and Noble. I know where we. I the Collective. Yeah, that's what I meant. I just forgot the name. We get our comics at the Collective in Altamont Springs, Florida, and some of the titles that my boys like the most include. What's our first one? Plants vs. Zombies. Plants vs. Zombies, which is written by Dark Horse Publishing. We've got about ten of the sixteen right now, and I think one or two more on order from our one, LCS. Two, three. They're by Dark Horse Publishing, and these are all written by uh, Paul Tobin, with a variety of artists across them. Yep, we have ten. Right, and this is a series. So how does this book relate to the game, Plants vs. Zombies? Mm. Is it anything like the game? A bit. What's it about? It has a lot of plants fighting zombies, and that's the part that's like the game. So that's some truth in advertising. Mm. Is it scary? Is it funny? Is it... Mostly yeah. funny. It's very funny. Very funny? Do you like funny. it? I like yeah, it. I like it. You both have read all ten of these, right? Yep. Which I've is your favorite? Um, out of these, I'd have to say maybe multi-ballistic, maybe rumble at Lake Gumbo. I have a couple favorites. Multi-ballistic or... And then rumble at Lake Gumbo Dynamite. Rumble at Lake Gumbo and... Dino Dino. That one has dinosaurs as well. Which is my favorite. So plant zombies and dinosaurs what's the main character isn't there a crazy guy in this that's like the main character crazy dave, crazy dave. and then there are kids with crazy Patrick dave and nate and they're on the side who are the good guys the plants or the zombies plants plants are good zombies are bad yeah why would zombies be good zombies oh. don't even have any brains quite literally but you guys like reading mm-hmm. these. I know for me as the daddy, I love that these come in this really cool card cover um, digest size that you guys can bang around and throw around and they don't get ripped or torn up. They, they stay pretty nice. Uh, they have beautiful kind of spine so when they sit on the shelf they all sit together nicely um and they're only $9.99 each which is great when we're talking about um the cost of hardcovers so plants vs zombies is a big win right you boys love this series yeah and that's by dark horse publishing what's the next one we're going to talk about sonic the hedgehog sonic the hedgehog by idw now i think everything we have was written by ian flynn uh with a variety of artists across the trades they have the first eight trades are out i believe and we have a special behind the scenes yes and there was a special called bad guys which focuses more truth in advertising on the bad guys but so eight of these now i read the first two with the boys i read one through eight did you read one through eight Uh, no you read all of them 
I don't think he read seven or eight the whole thing. Who are your favorite characters in Sonic? Tails. Tails is in these. Everyone likes Tails. Everyone likes Tails. Shadow. Shadow's in these. And Cole. Amy? Cream. 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 There's a lot, and, I don't know. And, 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 there's a lot of and, and, There's a lot of characters. And, this I believe is the end of Ian Flynn's run. Wait, and um, David, that one. Oh, cheese. 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 There's a character named Cheese. And chocolate. It's, it's chocolate. Those are just the little wispons. This is very kid friendly. Uh huh. Now, the one thing that's not kid friendly at the beginning of this, and this is something I was disappointed in, is that Ian Flynn had been the writer on Sonic the Hedgehog back when it was with Archie Comics. And so when IDW got the rights and started over at number one, they really plugged this as like a whole fresh start ready for anyone to jump in. But um, Ian Flynn didn't really go along with that. So basically when you're starting on issue one it feels like you're starting on like issue 72 like two-thirds of the way through as writers run on a title um because you are um but the good thing about kids is that like they don't notice or care they'll just jump into a story absolutely anywhere and get going and they have read these first four at least like well, a dozen LA. times I've read they've read at least twice. these first four have taken a beating um and they have read them over and over again now these sonic trades are 15.99 each um which is about standard price except they're only four issues each they come out every four issues so they're actually the same price if not a little more expensive than buying the single issues but when you're dealing with ninos single issues not the best format trade paperbacks at the very least are much nicer and now this third one is one that we both enjoy it's very very funny this is this is one we haven't been able to get at our lcs but it is his absolute favorite it has lots of physical comedy it has lots of physical comedy what's it called bunny versus monkey bunny versus monkey is written and drawn by jamie smart who's a uh british author and these are available through scholastic we have the first three although god only knows where number three is we ain't seen number three in a minute um, we have lots of books, but, uh, these, you can tell by the beating they have taken, are fan favorites, and I know my little guy has probably read this at least 20 times. So, reading off the back of this, a team of scientists has sent a monkey into space, and good thing too, because he's a mean, selfish, noisy little fur bat. And he didn't even go to space, he only got sent over the hill. But he thinks he's in another planet. But it all does not go well with the flight, and Monkey Spaceship barely clears the first hilltop before crash landing in Bunny's peaceful forest home. Monkey decides it's a new world and claims it for his own. Get ready for Chicken Zeppelins, the Picatron 5000, the indestructible Action Beaver, a squirrel with a passion for baking, and, and lots more. And Flogosaurus! Monkey's like an evil genius, right? Yeah, no. Skunky's a crazy monkey. Skunky. Skunky's an evil genius. Skunky's skunky the well. evil genius. Monkey just hires him. Monkey just makes him do stuff. And Skunky has to keep him away from the doomsday device. There's a doomsday device, obviously. They absolutely love these. These are available by Scholastic, and they are uh, priced at $7.99 each. And there are seven of them. And then... Favorites, this we only have one book of. Ah, yes, so a little bonus. Now, we covered this and we had an interview on X's for Podcast recently with the author Kath Loria. And after hearing about how monster tastic Elsa Bloodstone Bequest was, my monster lover here Me. had to read it. Yes. And so he recently finished Elsa Bloodstone Bequest. Tell me about it. What did you think? I thought 
fire was great. Lots of monster fighting, lots of monsters, trapdoors, traps. Now, we don't want to give away the spoiler. We don't want to tell them who the bad guy was. But tell me about some of the other characters, right? Like, there's Elsa's sister. Yeah, she has a half-sister who's actually a vampire. (gasps) That must be crazy for Elsa being a monster hunter, that her sister's a monster. Is that weird for her? (laughs) Yeah! Except it's kind of like family, so it gets a bit complicated. She still loves her sister, even though her sister's a monster? Is that like you You still love your brother even if he's a monster sometimes? Maybe. Then he's a monster. <laughs> but so Elsa Bloodstone Bequest was a good book? Yep, I loved it. And it had lots of monsters? Mm-hmm. It had dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. No. No, no dinosaurs. But it you can did tell have, who didn't read Elsa it Bloodstone did have hybrid. It did have hybrid animals. It had, it had hybrid? A, Hybrids are cool. It had a bee lion, a shark and those are just up, and those are the only two I heard about. <laughs> bee lion? And a shark Very cool. So, again, uh, this is part of the Marvel Heroines line by Aconite Publishing. Um, you can find these wherever good books are sold. $16.95 uh, MSRP in the United States, $22.95 in Canada, and uh, $8.99, what I'm going to assume are euros, in the United of Kingdoms. Any last words? Also, Bloodstone Bequest was awesome. Good book. I'd recommend and I'd recommend it for any children like me who love monsters. Any last words? Uh, not about this book. I read it. No. This is my book. Okay. So then you know what we say at the end? Back to you, Nico. Back to you, Nico. <laughs> I actually don't have anything to add here, but the back to you, Nico, was just too damn cute for me not to pop back in, so thanks, guys. You guys killed it. I guess back to you, outro theme.